Good morning again. There we go. You guys can hear me now. It'd be funny if you said no again. <laughs> so funny. Um, hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Um, we had a bunch of family come into town and visit us, so we had a full house for like almost a week. So uh, wonderful to see them and spend time with them. Great to send them back on their way, if you know what I mean, you know, get the house back to myself, you know, my own space, oh man, no, it was really, really wonderful, but um, this morning we're in um, the, the end of chapter 15 of Romans, and if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Romans 15, we are getting right here to the end of our series in Romans, and one of the things that happens when you get to the end of an epistle like Romans is you can, um, you kind of... Um, start to run into all these things that kind of feel like, like I don't know, housekeeping or something, like all this stuff that, that kind of comes out at the end of an epistle like this, and, and you go, you know, what is, what is this talking about, or like what significance does this have maybe, maybe for our lives, is, or is it just kind of some information about who the letter goes to and the things that are happening, the mechanics behind it? Um, and I think it's been really, um, really incredible to see what even this part of this incredible letter that Paul's written to the church in Rome tells us about uh, the gospel itself and the Christian life itself by just showing us a glimpse of Paul himself and his heart and who he is. So I want to read um, chapter 15 of Romans, verses 22 through 33, and then um, we're going to um, spend some time kind of looking at that, and I'll put it up on the screen here for you as well. Oh, there we go. Thanks, Steve. Um, so Romans 15, 22 through 33, my binder's all messed up, sorry. Okay, it says this. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, and have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For, uh, for if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings." I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So... Uh, Paul here is talking about why it is that he isn't there in Rome in person, why he's sending a letter instead of being there himself. Um, Paul is somebody who seems to really want to be around all the people in all these churches. You can tell he really likes to be in these places. Um, one of the uh, first people that I got to know um, in this church um, was a guy named uh, Wayne Shock, 
and uh, Wayne. Wayne's watching on home right now, at home right now, I'm sure. So, hey, Wayne, how's it going? Hey, Wayne and Sherry. Um, so, Wayne is a guy who, like, he's uh, he and Sherry are um, they're retired missionaries, and um, Wayne was somebody that I got to know as the guy who literally went to everything. He, like, went to everything, you know, like him and Sherry or just Wayne. He would go to every uh, missions conference in the area, every prayer gathering. You would hear about some evangelism thing that a church is doing in, like, north something, west Portland, where people are going door to door and baptizing people in bathtubs because they're having miraculous, you know, conversions and all kinds of crazy things like that. You would find out that Wayne was, in fact, there. Wayne was just a guy who went to everything. He, he loved um, being around the body of Christ, or he loves being around the body of Christ, and he, and he loves um, being a part of the Spirit as the Spirit is moving, and he's figured out that if you want to experience God, you go to where God is moving and what he's doing, the things that he's doing. And so it's been really hard for Wayne and Sherry the last couple of years as Sherry was diagnosed with cancer prior to COVID, and then the vaccine didn't work because of her treatment, and so they've had to kind of stay sort of isolated from other people. And so Wayne's one of the people on our leadership team here on our council, and uh, he's been zooming into a lot of meetings. You know, we basically, you know, want to set up like a little mannequin with a computer head for him because, you know, we see him that way so much of the time. But it's interesting because as I was reading this, you know, Wayne and Sherry, I was thinking about you guys. I was reading this this week that, um, you know, this is what Paul's talking about. He's basically saying, like, I love nothing more than being around you guys, because you're like my family, and because you're believers, um, and, and that you're partnering with me in this incredibly important mission to reach the lost. And I wish that I could be there with you because I find so much encouragement being there with you, but I just can't be there with you because of these other things that I have to do. Um, what we see in the passage that we're looking at this morning is we see um, some things about the Christian life and how it changes the way that we view our own life. Um, how, uh, how because of the gospel and the transformation that it brings in the life of a person, that if you or I have been changed by the gospel, if we become believers as a result of it and follow Jesus, that what it means to live the Christian life is, is first and foremost to become about something that is much bigger than ourselves. Uh, my life... Uh, if I follow Jesus, is now about something much bigger than just me, which is a complete, it, it is a huge change in the way that I now live my life. I'm a part of something much bigger than just me, just my uh, priorities, my desires, my comfort, my ambitions, my goal, even my life that exists here as I'm alive in this body and the flesh. Paul says in the beginning of this, of this chapter here, of this, pair, of this passage, he says, uh, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, um, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing. As I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul is saying here that uh, Paul's a traveling, church-planting missionary. Paul goes from place to place to place uh, doing whatever he can so that other people can hear the good news of the gospel. He's devoted his whole life to that. And it dictates where he goes and what he does and what his agenda and schedule in life is going to be like. But it dictates so much more even just the, than those things. 
Paul has a really good method for making decisions in life. It's got a pretty easy way of knowing what it is that he's supposed to do at any given point in life. And it's pretty simple. He just asks this question. Um, what would advance and grow the kingdom of God the most? What could I do that would advance and would grow God's kingdom the most? Whatever that is, then that's what I'm going to do. It, doesn't just start, it isn't just limited to him saying, I'm going to now have a, a new job, a new title. I'm going to have a new role in life and in the world. I'm going to be a guy who goes around talking about Jesus in public, planting churches, writing letters and encouraging people. No. It's not just the, the job that he has, the, the title that he has in life, the, the label that other people might give him or the, the category they'd put him in. No, it's every decision, even from that point forward, he says, as a person who's living my life this way, then how, what, what can I do in this situation today, in this decision that I'm, that I'm living out right now? What can I do in this one moment as I decide to go from here or to here? What can I do to advance the kingdom of God the most. And so sometimes that meant he didn't get to go be with people that he wanted to be with. He didn't get to see people that he wanted to see, much like this church in Rome. He says, I, I've longed to go and see you guys and to encourage you in person. I, I won't have to write you a letter for you guys to read it, but um, God is calling me to do something, and that thing is bigger than even my preferences, the things that I want to do. Paul's saying here, I'm really torn, guys. I have things I want to do in life. I have people I want to see that I'm limited from seeing because of the work that I have to do for the sake of the gospel. But what Paul has been doing is he's been going around and he's been raising funds and raising support for uh, the church in Jerusalem, specifically the poor in the church in Jerusalem. And he's also, as he's been doing that, he's been traveling and he's been preaching the gospel and he's been starting churches and he's been encouraging people and helping them grow in these churches. Um, Paul uh, recognizes um, that the biggest change that following Jesus makes in his life is that it changes who the center of his life is. If I am about something bigger than myself, if my life is about something bigger than me, then that means that it doesn't any longer revolve just around me. Now, we, we can acknowledge that the world may not revolve around us. You may not have gotten this yet, but people, if, if, if you haven't, believe me, people are trying very hard to help you realize this. We, it was hard for, for us as people living on earth to discover that our planet wasn't the center of the entire universe or the galaxy. That was upsetting to us. That bothered us because we couldn't understand how God might create us and not make us the center of his creation. And that still meant, and, and somehow that could still mean that the Bible was true or that God was real. What we find um, is that even though most of us accept that the world doesn't revolve around us, and the universe doesn't revolve around us either, maybe, that at least, like, at the very least, our lives get to revolve around us, right? I mean... That one's ours, right? It's my life. It's not your life. So it can be mostly about me, about what I want, about what I need, about what I uh, want things to look like and how I want them to go. I'm not going to control what you do, but I'm going to be in charge of what I do because I only get one of these things and I want to make it count. 
Paul recognized something different. He recognized that uh, becoming a follower of Jesus and the gospel changing his life meant there was now something different at the center of his life that he revolved around, and it wasn't him. It was the mission of God. It was the kingdom of God itself. And much like a subject who lives in a kingdom and is subject to a king and says, I live in service to this king, I live in service to this very kingdom, Paul recognized, I don't just live in service to myself. But the only way that this can actually happen, the only way that this could be true, is if there was something that was even more important than me when I woke up in the morning. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror. Uh, if I decide that there isn't anything else that's more important than what I'm looking at, then what I'm looking at is going to be the thing that I live for, the person that I live for, the goal of my day. What people and relationships bring me joy? What do I do with the resources that I have to bring this guy in the mirror joy? Whatever I can come up with, that's what I'm going to do if I'm the most important thing there. And the only way that this could happen for Paul is that he encountered something in his life very dramatically and miraculously that he recognized was even more significant than himself. When our sights are set on something even bigger than us, even more glorious than us, we can then live our lives for something other than ourselves. But if our, our sights aren't set on that thing, like Paul's is, then we can't. We, we can't. We can try for a little bit because we think it's a good thing to do, because we think that people might like it better if we do that, because we feel guilty and we feel obligated. We feel like we're supposed to or we'll get punished. But in the end, if the biggest thing in our mind is still us, that's what we'll always go back to because we only get one of these, right? This life that we have, that we live in the flesh and this earth. Uh, why would I live it for something else if that something isn't bigger or better? In, in Scripture, it describes God as having uh, glory, as being holy. And the glory of God is the weight of God. And weight displaces other things. So when you put something heavy into a swimming pool full of water, it displaces the water around it. It cannot help but do that. And the bigger the object, the heavier the object, the more that it displaces all the matter that is around it. This is exactly the way that God works in the life of a believer. That because of who God is and how big he is, that if we fix our gaze on him and if we recognize just how glorious God really is, then we will not have to force ourselves to ignore ourselves, to dislike ourselves, or to try to just give up ourselves. We will instead be focused on something far greater than ourselves, and we'll find ourselves pursuing the glory of God himself. Paul recognized that God's glory was much greater than his own. That God was the one to be feared because God is the most powerful, the most life-giving, and the most good. God is the source of all good things in our life. He is the good thing in our life. And if we believe that, just as Paul did, then we can simply choose to let our lives revolve around that thing. Why wouldn't I choose to let my life revolve 
around the most glorious thing that I know of, that I'm aware of. This is what Paul's done. And because of that, even when he um, is talking to people about something that is, that is so important, which is being with them and seeing them and being in relationships with them, he says, those are secondary to me. They don't take the priority that pursuing God and his kingdom does because of the joy that comes in him. I could try to do something like this out of guilt, out of obligation, out of compulsion. I could say, it's okay, fine, it's what I'm supposed to do. My life isn't allowed to be about me anymore, so I'll do it because I don't want to do the wrong thing. Or I could do it because I see in the lives of Jesus, in the life of Paul, I see in the lives of other Christians, I might know, I see in the lives of missionaries, people who actually devote their lives to this in a way that's most apparent to us as sort of an extremely different way of living and approaching the world. I could look at those people and I could see something in them. I could see that there is real freedom, that there is real joy, and there is real hope in living in a universe that doesn't revolve around me. Paul recognized that there is tremendous freedom and hope and joy in living a life that doesn't revolve around him. And the more that we see how that works in the lives of others who make God's glory greater than their own, the more hope it gives us that we can do that ourselves and that we should do that ourselves because it is the most joyful and abundant and rewarding and satisfying way that we could possibly live on this planet. Paul recognized that his life was about something much bigger than him. And that's coming out here even as he's writing to this church he wants to go see. And it causes us to stop and ask the question, does living the Christian life mean I try to make this life, this life I'm living for myself, the best that I possibly can using these things I've come up with in Scripture? Or is it possible that the Christian life is letting go of this life I'm building for myself and for all the things and people associated with me and saying, I'm going to be about something even bigger than just me. I'm going to be a part of a mission that's accomplishing something significant. As Paul does this, it affects a lot of areas of his life. And he's really reminding the church here that he expects it to affect the areas of their lives as well. Because not only is it his life that kind of changes, but it, it changes then his relationships. So if my life is about something bigger than me, then it means my relationships are now about something bigger than just my people. My relationships are now about something bigger than just who are my people? And how can those relationships be the ones I focus on from now until the day I die? This is the way that we approach relationships. We, we see them as things that benefit our lives, as we're the center of them. But if my life's about something bigger, then is it possible that my relationships are affected by that as well? Paul has just been talking about how um, he wants to be with people, his people, but he knows he can't be because he's meant to be with other people. And what he says, if you look at the beginning of this, is he says that the reason he's been hindered from coming to them um, is that he's got work to do. 
And he says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, um, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So he's saying, I go where I go because there's work to do, and that work happens in relationships with people. So instead of choosing to simply forever be planted where the people are that are, that are my people the most, I'm going to be where, in relationships where, pursuing relationships with people to the end of seeing God's kingdom grow. So the difference between a person living the Christian life and not living the Christian life is, is one will say, God is calling me continually to be in relationships with people because he wants to bring the gospel to people. But he's also calling me into relationships with people because those people are different from me. Because when my life is, is about my people, and my relationships are just about who are my people, then what do I do? What do we do? We find a group of people that we most identify with and most relate to. That might be our family. Uh, that might be our close friends. Might be a combination of both. Usually it is. Some of you spent Thanksgiving with your family. Some of you spent it with friends. And that's who you spend it with each year. And those are your people. And those relationships are huge in your life. But Paul is calling us to go beyond that, and he's showing us what it looks like in his own life. He's saying, I am in a relationship with people in present in their life, and they're present in mine, because I see work to be done for the sake of the gospel. And he's not just talking about preaching it to someone who's hearing it for the very first time. Paul is in an area because people need encouragement. He's in an area because they need to understand what it looks like to grow in the faith. He's in an area because they need uh, support. Um, he's uh, also telling the church, and we just finished talking about this for a few weeks, that, that they are supposed to be about more than just their own people, right? If you're a Gentile, which means you're not a super religious person, but you're following Jesus, you do follow Jesus without all these rules about what you eat and what days you worship and all these things, he's saying, I don't want you to just be about the people that are like you. I want you to be about these other people, the Jewish Christians, who are very different from you in the way they worship God. And what he says to the Jewish Christians is he wants the same thing for them. You see how when we're, our life is about something much bigger than just our life, ourselves, then that means that our relationships are going to look dramatically different because we're going to choose to constantly be putting ourselves in front of and with people that we wouldn't otherwise put ourselves in relationship with. And that's not always an easy thing to do. In our mind, uh, that's, uh, that's harder, that's worse. That leads to bad relationships, unfulfilling relationships, isolation, not having real community. And yet what we see throughout time is that community is built through diversity and through people being willing to, to hold loosely the relationships they already have established for the sake of reaching and meeting others. It's really hard for us to do. You learn it, you learn it when you start working with teenagers, is we make a group of friends, and the last thing that we ever want to do is let go and begin to make another group of friends. The last thing we ever want to do sometimes is invite someone into the group of friends that we have, right? 
If Paul were doing what most people would do, he would pick a church that he liked the most, and he would stay there forever and say, this is what it looks like to serve God. But he recognizes that God's calling him to hold his relationships a lot more loosely than that, and that is how he does so much. So, we, we, can, we can look at this, this, this way of living to where he actually even says that when he does see these people, that he's going to see them on his way to somewhere else. He's like, I'm not even going to set up camp there. I'm going to keep going at some point. I'm going to go on to, to Spain. I'm going to go on to somewhere else to encourage and help the church. We can hear this and we can, we can say, okay, fine. Then if that's how I'm supposed to live and what I'm supposed to do, then maybe I'll just resign myself to the fact that because I want to be obedient or because I, I feel guilty or because I, I'm supposed to do the right thing, I'm just going to resign myself to the fact that I'm going to have to hang around people who don't get me instead of my real community, instead of the people who do get me. Or maybe, um, maybe um, I can recognize instead of that that I was brought in from the outside by a God who searches for the lost sheep and is willing to leave uh, the fold to find them. You see, what we've been saying throughout Romans, especially talking about living the Christian life, is very simple. All of the things that we do, we do because they were done for us first. The reason that my relationships can look different that I can reach outside of where I'm comfortable being and the people I'm most comfortable with is because I was an outsider. Not just from this community of friends. I was an outsider to God. And he bridged the gap and he sent his son and he reached out to me. And because of that, I can have life and I can have hope. When I look at that and I realize that's my story. My story isn't a person who, uh, who was born on the inside and got to enjoy the benefits of that. And now my biggest concern is to keep that as good and strong as it can be for all of us inside. My story is one who was on the outside and who was brought in through God's grace. And if that's my story and that's your story and that's all of our stories, then that gives us a heart to say I, I want to bring others in, and I want to go out to those who refuse to come in. I want to do that because that's what was done for me, because that's what Jesus did for me. He goes on to tell them what it is that he's actually doing. Um, he says, at present, however, uh, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, and have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So he's saying that um, the church in Jerusalem, the big church, the central hub, really, uh, the, the one that started it all, started it all that we read about in Acts on Pentecost um, and, and all that crazy stuff that happened, uh, he's saying, uh, I'm going around and I'm raising money for the poor in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know exactly why they're poor. We know that there's like famines. We know that there are plagues. We know that uh, in order to, uh, a lot of people stayed there after Pentecost and because of that or after the, um, uh, the, the holy days that they were there for, the Passover and everything, they stayed there and they, they, they kind of stayed there in the church rather than go back to their hometown where they had traveled from for those holy days. 
So people needed jobs, they needed money, they needed ways to live, they were kind of building a whole new community. We don't know exactly what it is that's causing these people to be poor, but what we know is that Paul's saying, I'm going around and collecting money from churches to bring um, to the Jerusalem church. And as I do that, my hope is that it will strengthen the bonds between these churches, because there's a lot of reasons why churches want to kind of separate from each other and say, I'll do my thing, you do your thing, you do your thing. And so he's saying, I'm going around and I'm collecting from these saints. Now, we read in more detail the way he actually did this in some of the other epistles. In Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, for example, we, we read where Paul is actually doing that very thing. He's talking to the church and he's saying to them, here's, uh, I need to collect money from you guys. Here's how I want you guys to set it aside. Here's the reasons I want you guys to give it. This goes beyond just our relationships. It gets to the tangible of our resources themselves. My resources are now about something bigger than just my comfort. The money that I have, the stuff that I have, and in many ways the abilities that I have, these things are now about something bigger than just God gave me this stuff so that I could use it as wisely as possible to give myself the best life that there is. Paul's saying, my life doesn't work that way anymore, and neither does yours if you're a part of the church. When he talks to people about what this look like, looks like as he's doing this fundraising, we read a great example, a great description of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul says this to the church, this is Paul fundraising of the church, basically, for Jerusalem. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So he's saying that there are these churches who even though they don't have much, and even though they themselves are dealing with affliction and difficulty, that they are choosing to and considering it an honor and a privilege to be able to give of what God has entrusted to them for the sake of others. It brings these people joy Begging us earnestly, he says, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, what we, what we see here is that, is that Christian generosity is by nature sacrificial. Sacrificial meaning it's not just the leftovers at the end of the day. It's, it's saying at the beginning of the day, here is what I give, and here is what I use to support those who are in need, and then saying, now what does it look like for me to make a life on what's left? And we see throughout Scripture that the, the pattern of generosity and giving for a person whose life doesn't revolve around them anymore, but it revolves around a God who is so much more glorious and a mission that is so much bigger than our own comfort what it looks like to, to handle our own resources, our finances. With that in mind, is to begin by asking the question, 
What is it that is needed? How can I give out of abundance and then going, and now I will trust God. I will trust God to help me live life with what's left. It's, we start by doing this. We don't end by doing it. And that's what makes it sacrificial. That a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is a person who will have a different standard of living than they would have had if they weren't following Jesus. You think about that for a second. That, that if you weren't following Jesus, that you would have a higher standard of living than you do following Jesus, because what it means to follow him is to say, I'm going to let go of, in fact, I'm going to enthusiastically and generously give out of joy, knowing that it means I'm going to live a different kind of a life on this earth. Well, that's not an easy thing to do. That's not the way that we operate. That's not how we tend to think about giving and generosity. So we could begrudgingly give our stuff because it's the price that God is kind of charging for admission. We could, we could say, okay, fine, I know, I, I need to you know, support the church, support those who are in need. I need to give these things because it's the rules and nothing in life is free and neither is this stuff and neither is my faith or whatever. And I'm going to do it because I know I should and I'm going to feel really guilty if I don't. Or we can think for a moment about the riches that we have because of what has been given to us by God. Because we do nothing without first seeing what Christ has done for us. I have lived in poverty. I was spiritually bankrupt and empty. I had nothing before Christ came into my life. And Christ chose to bless me uh, abundantly with the riches of life and with his mercy and grace. And because of that, I live as a wealthy person now. I live as a rich person. Spiritually, I have been given so much more than I ever worked for or earned or was uh, deserving of in any way. And because I know that I, I live my life that way, it changes what it means to truly be generous. You see, Paul gives the sort of motivation for this. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the eagerness, earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Christ uh, chose to sacrifice himself for us, which meant choosing poverty for himself when he was rich. He chose to do that because he loved each one of you and because he loved me. He did that out of love for us. And so he says it is, it is by reflecting on that and looking at that that we go, like, is there anything else I could do other than sacrificially give of what God has stewarded to me, entrusted to me, allowed me to basically watch over? You know, Scripture tells us that God gives us the resources he does, not so that they can belong to us, but so that we can then have the joy of 
passing out and dispersing those resources to the world. He gives that to us so that we can have the honor and the privilege of doing that with it, not so that we can hoard it all for ourselves, which is very difficult because we want comfort. I want it, you want it, we want comfort. And when we live a life that revolves around us and not something as big as the glory of God and the mission of God, then what else would we spend our resources on? What else would I use my gifts for? What else would I use my time for, my relationships for, other than my own comfort? That is how it works, right? That's what we do in this world. That's what we do in this life. The question really is just uh, how? How can I best use what I have for my and my family's comfort? But it's possible to actually live differently than that. It's possible to actually approach the very resources that we have differently than that. My resources are now about something even bigger than my comfort. And when they become about something bigger than my comfort, it frees me up to truly be generous, as, as Paul is calling the churches to do as they support one another in the work that's being done. He's saying, listen, um, people before you were generous. They were generous, and because of that, it enabled the church in this world to, to exist and function in such a way that you were reached, that you were reached, that, that, that the gospel made it to you and that you received the gospel. And this he describes as like a debt. Like, so now we continue supporting this in our world so that people can continue to hear the gospel, so that your own children can continue to hear the gospel, so that people in other countries can hear the gospel all over the world. He goes on um, to say this, kind of towards the end of this passage that we're in this morning. He says, um, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. What Paul then asks them to do is he asks them to pray for him. He says, would you pray for me? Now, that, that phrase, um, that phrase can be one that, you know, we easily, you know, toss around. You know, pray for me, I'll pray for you, right? Would you pray for me? I'll pray for you. It can sometimes be kind of the Christian stand-in for thinking about you, you know, um, hoping all is well, you know. Don't forget about me or whatever. Keep us in your thoughts, right? But it means so much more than that. Paul is saying to them, just as much as we need physical resources, we need prayer of the saints in order for us to accomplish what God's called us to do. That God intends for you to co-labor with those that are working for the advancement of the gospel and that you do that by getting on your knees and praying. That that is where the work begins for most of us. So this changes even the way that we pray. 
that if I'm not the center and if I'm living for something bigger than myself, then my prayers are now about something bigger than my problems. Because it is possible when living for ourselves to see even prayer as simply a way to come before God and to ask for the answer to my problems, the things I'm dealing with, that that's really what it's there for, primarily. I know this sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. But we actually accomplish a tremendous amount when we, when we cry out to God on behalf of another person and we ask him to do something in their life. This is one of the hardest things for us to wrap our minds around because we're so used to, to, to believing that it is only what we physically do that changes things, right? In fact, we are so frustrated in situations where we lose control and we're required to come to God to ask him to do something because we just can't do it on our own. It infuriates us. We feel completely powerless. Rather than recognizing that if what we believe about God is true, that if what we say about God, if we believed it and if it was true, then that means that what we can accomplish with our hands and our efforts is much, much much less powerful than what the God of the universe can accomplish when we cry out to him and he works through that. What Paul is describing is a way of approaching God that has us on our knees saying, God, would you do this in the life of and for this person? Would you intervene in this situation? Would you enable this ministry to take root and for the gospel to grow in this place? We lament constantly how, how, uh, how little impact the gospel has on a community. We lament the state of the world that we live in. We lament the state of our cities, of our, of our schools, of our nation. We lament the state of so many different things. But if we're honest... The amount of time that we actually lift these things up to our God and say, God, would you do something here, is so small that how could we expect anything else than what we experience in our world today? You know, part of what seems so impossible about this idea that, that I would actually pray more for and care more for the needs of, the problems of, the burdens of, others than myself is that we're just so out of practice in doing it. We really don't tend to approach prayer that way. Many of us are out of habit, and when we do it, it's because we're driven to desperation by a situation in our own immediate life. But could you imagine what it would be like if we actually empathized with one another because we spent time on our knees for one another? That if when, when, when we knew about the things that are going on as people are reaching others for the gospel in our community and outside of our community, that we were actually partnering with people through prayer. Paul is very clear when he says that he wants them to join us with this. He says to strive together. And another translation for this is to join me in my struggle. That's what Paul says. Would you join me in my struggle as I do these things? You can. 
And I need your prayer and your support in doing this. I need for you to say to God, God, would you do this on my behalf? Would you do this for this person? Would your Holy Spirit intervene in this situation? I can resign myself to prayer because my hands are tied and I can't do anything else about a situation. Or I will learn to depend on prayer more than on the things I am capable of doing in a situation. The reason that we don't pray for others is because we generally only pray for the situations in our own lives that we can't change. Prayer is the thing we do when we can't do other things. Yet the way Paul describes it is that prayer is the thing that we do because we know it accomplishes more than all of the stuff that we try to do ourselves. If we viewed it that way, what would it look like? My prayers are now about something bigger than my problems. My parents, my in-laws were in town this week, and um, they're really wonderful people because of sort of the, the selfless way that they go about living their lives. They're constantly wanting to know about what's going on in other people's lives. They're constantly wanting to pray for and lift up other people. And uh, it's like um, they're, they're, very, they're just very concerned with um, uh, the, the different people in their community, the different people in their neighborhood, the different people in their church, the different people in their family, the people they come across, and constantly thinking about those people more than thinking about themselves. And um, my father-in-law was... Um, recently uh, diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer, and he's been battling it. And it's, it's a hard thing to talk to them about because they don't bring it up that much. And they don't bring it up that much not because they're in denial. Um, he's a doctor. He kind of knows how stuff works. Um, it's not because they um, are too in despair to talk about it without getting uh, to the point where they can't talk any longer. Um, and what they also haven't done, which has surprised me, honestly, is that they haven't grown bitter because of all of the time and effort that they have spent investing in and pouring into other people and praying for other people, that, uh, that now that retirement has come, uh, that it looks like it may, their, their time of just enjoying life and things being for themselves might be limited by this cancer. You see, what's happened is their constant focusing on the needs of others has caused them to live in a world in which their own problems are not the most important problems. And I think that's one of the reasons why we get so discouraged when things happen to us that are so difficult is because we're used to living in a world where we're the center of everything. When I am the center of everything, then the things I can lose, the things that can happen to me, the hard things become everything. When I'm actually thinking about everyone else and I'm thinking about the kingdom of God, then the things that can hurt my own individual life, my own individual ambitions and goals, my own resources that can take those away or limit them, those things have the ability to harm me less because my life isn't just about me. It's not just about my comfort and my happiness. It's about something much bigger than the things that can be robbed by the trials I face in my own life. There's an author named Donald Miller, and he had this quote in talking about story and, and, and the types of stories that we respond to. He said this, 
He said, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put a record on to think about the story you'd seen. The truth is you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and you'd want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to be meaningful. The truth is, if what we chose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. I think so many of us begin life wanting a great story. A life that is a great story is a life that is about something bigger than just my experience and me being comfortable. But I think that over the course of life, it can become so easy through fear or uncertainty or even self-centeredness or trial and pain or suffering to resign ourselves to a life that is just the one of least resistance, the one of most comfort for myself. And what we often find as a result of that is that uh, the story that we're living, that God invites us into and says, I've got incredible news for you. You haven't only been given new life for yourself. You have been invited in to my kingdom. You have been given a, a role in the most important mission that has ever existed in creation. That, to me, is an exciting story. That is a life that I want to live, even though it's one that involves sacrifice. I was thinking about, I was talking with a missionary that we support recently. Um, there's, a, there's a missionary, missions sort of organization that we support in Mexico called Permanecer. And um, I was talking, Brandon and I were talking with, uh, with Justin, who leads that ministry there, about just how things have been going for them. And one of the wonderful things about those conversations and about partnering with people who do things um, outside of the walls of our church is that it is exactly what Paul is talking about here. You see, when we talk about all these things, we're not talking about them in some vague, abstract way that we don't know how to connect the dots today. The church today still needs to continue to give sacrificially for the sake of the mission outside the walls of our church. We, it is only through our willingness to give of ourselves, to give of our time and our resources, to give of our prayers. It is, it is through doing those things that we will continue to partner with and enable others to be reached and ministry to happen in our city, outside the walls of our, outside of our city itself, right, right here around us, and across the world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, like, for the next several weeks, we're going to continue talking about uh, the way that we can do this to support a ministry that is looking to do the kind of work that Paul was talking about. Those who are poor and in need and need care, people who present the gospel to them through those works, Permanecer is a ministry um, in Mexico that, uh, that, that does a variety of different things. But one of the things that we have talked about a lot recently, and when Justin and Veronica came and shared with us, was a ministry to a group called Their Abuelos, which are senior citizens who have been um, given a place to live, who don't really have a social safety net to care for them. 
Homes have been built, um, and uh, we have the ability in our church to adopt abuelos, to basically raise support for and care for those who are living in these homes, to help support the, the pastor families who created this ministry, and to help them continue to expand it because, believe it or not, they're at capacity all the time. And so one of the things that we've done as a church is that we've, a lot of you have individually adopted abuelos. You have, you have agreed to and signed up to support monthly, give sacrificially, so that people um, can have these places to stay, so that they can be reached with the gospel, and so they can experience the love of Jesus, especially at such a vulnerable time in their life. But we've kind of mentioned over the last few months that there are still more that need to be adopted. And so I was talking with Justin just a few weeks ago, and I was asking him about the need that exists for this. And one of the things that we're going to do that I want to do is I want to continue to put this forward to you as a church, as a challenge to our church. We're going to talk over the next few weeks, and throughout the month of December, we're going to be basically taking a Christmas offering. We're going to be taking a holiday offering, and we're going to do that as a way of being generous in a time with God being generous in a time that we're often so generous with one another. Doing so because of the thankfulness that we have for what God has done for us. The, the, the two needs that Justin mentioned to me was, one is that they have a group from, I think, around five um, more abuelos that still need to be adopted, that they don't have adoptions for them. I mean, they've literally never been able to have all of the abuelos um, adopted, which means financially supported, so that the family that's doing the ministry is able to actually pay the bills for what they're doing. They've never been able to have all of them adopted. They've had churches come and partner and adopt a few here and a few there, but each time that we talk, he kind of lets me, you know, he kind of fills us in on sort of how many that they're at, and he trusts that God's going to do it, but I continue to want to be able to say, like, I believe that our church can do this. I believe that our church can do this, and so what we did was just said, how much would it cost to adopt the remaining abuelos for a year? And it's $3,000. It's not that much money. The other thing that they're looking to do is uh, because uh, these abuelos are apparently more active than you might think, they actually need an activity center. <laughs> they need a place to serve also as a chapel. They need a place where they can meet and hear the word of the Lord and worship together and, uh, and actually experience the hope of the gospel. And so they're looking to do that, but the very first step of doing that is they just need to raise the money to draw up the plans to be able to have an idea of what they're going to build before they can even build it. Because without the plans, they can't bring those to various churches and say, would you support us in helping build this, send teams down to help us build this, and to make this something that we can do. Because right now, they're all meeting in basically a living room of the pastor's home where they live. It's $1,500 to do that. And they have a, 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 a variety of different needs of things that they need. But I, I just wanted to grab these two things. And I put their website on the bottom of our screen here. We picked a great morning to not have a bulletin. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we could put all this in a bulletin? I know, right? Well, I'm sorry, guys, but what, what, what can I say? So what I want to encourage you to do, what I want to challenge you to do, is to first, I want you to go to this website here. Write it down on whatever you have, your hand, your forehead, the person next to you, whatever. And I want you to go to that website today, and I want you to bookmark it, or I want you to save it, so that you can begin to look at the things that you can be praying for to support people who are doing ministry outside the walls of our church. There are needs, there are situations going on in the pastor's family, there are, there are needs in their immediate area, not just like financial needs that need to be met. 
there are ways that we specifically can get on our knees and partner with and support the ministry being done. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to begin doing that. And then what I want you to do is I want you to pray about how um, you can give financially, sacrificially, in a time when we are so uh, wanting to be generous with one another to be able to support this ministry to continue doing what they're doing. This is not something that we can just talk about abstractly. We can't just talk about it and say, okay, everybody go and think about what that might look like because there is no shortage of needs in the world in which we live for people like Paul who are bringing the gospel to those who are in need, saying, church, would you partner with us? Would you help us? Would you support us in doing this? Let's pray.